Welcome to the Unabashed Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all things tabletop RPG. This week, Susan and I discuss legacy, in the sense that we talk about our very first experiences with RPGs and discuss how those continue to influence how we run and play games. As usual, we also discuss campaign pipe dreams at the end. Enjoy. All right, let's get started then. Uh, <laughs> Unabashed Gaming, episode 39. Uh, we're talking legacy tonight in you know, one of its many forms. Uh, my name is David Schimpf. And I'm Susan Stewart. And yeah, so we're just uh, we're just going to jump into it. Legacy tonight, you know, it means many things in many different ways. Uh, tonight, uh, when I'm talking about legacy, I'm talking about how the very first game that you ever play influences all the other games that you ever come across or <laughs> run or play or try to ruin intentionally. It's just... Uh, yeah, just just sort of seeing exactly how that affects you. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, may would you like me to start? Yeah, may, go for it. Yeah, it sounds good. So, um, my first game, which um, I mentioned in our very first episode of Unabashed Gaming, my very first system, my very first game was Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition. <clears throat> I will, uh, <laughs> I will wait here while you boo and hiss. Boo. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So get um, off the stage. I know. I just, uh, I just turn in. <laughs> I should, I should probably just like turn in my press pass to Gen Con now. Just be like, sorry guys, I'm a fraud. Mm. No. Oh. Well, uh, in any case, yes. My first, uh, my first system was Dungeons and Dragons Fourth Edition, um, and it was a homebrew game run by uh, a good friend of mine named Sean, and it was a pretty traditional fantasy setting game. Um, we had enough players at the table where I believe we encompassed, if not all of the classes, like all except one, I think, I think there was just like one person who wasn't playing like a warlord. So, um, like we had everything (laughs) except for a warlord. We had like two tiefling rogues and, um, mine was, mine was better because, uh, (laughs) because he didn't leave the game and never come back. So, you know, at least I was there till, I'm not sure if it was the bitter end, but it was the end. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah it was um not only was it my first time playing dungeons and dragons it was also my uh, my gm's first time gming dungeons and dragons so it was a very sort of raw everyone's sort of figuring out exactly how this sort of thing worked um you know figuring out how to run games how to plan games how to create you know, nemeses how to make sure nemeses don't die right away um mm-hmm, and it, was, mm-hmm. it was a very uh it was a very simple sort of um you know standard uh D&D fantasy where you have you know you have uh, goblins menacing villages and you have princesses that need saving and you have towns named after um whatever the GM first thinks of so i think like the first town <laughs> we went to was named after um our G- like this girl that our GM kind of had a crush on i think that was like i think that was one of the that was the first town's name nice i mean it was it was definitely the same name as the girl i don't know if he named it after her but i'm pretty sure he did so. How old were you at this in this game? Oh God, I was um, I was twenty four. I think my GM was twenty two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so. gonna say that sounds like sounds like college era GM <clears throat> or gaming. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was very. Uh, yeah, I, I I could see that stretching all the way back to if we were gaming in high school. I don't think that name would have changed at all. Yeah, um, I mean. but yeah, we ended up. Uh, you know, we fought through pretty much the first uh, monsters manual we encountered you know goblins and some kobolds and you know some other uh, undeads and we had some epic battles in taverns and um i got to i got to knock down a dragon with a dagger which was a lot of fun actually um yeah so it was uh it was very great and i you know there were a lot of things uh in it that you know looking back are uh are situations that I personally ha- have um, have implemented in my games or implemented when I'm playing, and um, yeah, just uh, you know, a very sort of um, you know, just kind of like that very first iconic entry into Dungeons and Dragons, where you're uh, sort of experiencing it for the first time and you know, getting in the setting. And oh, hi, cat. There's... <laughs> Everyone, I hope you can hear the cat because I yeah, it's her purring oh. coming over the microphone. Yeah, she just invaded oh. the recording space. Well, that's fine. 
So well, we'll just be quiet for a minute. You can all get the soothing sounds of cat purrs. Exactly. So that's our special guest cat, Gilly. Gilly, Gilly the game cat. Gilly the game cat. She uh, she is occasionally the dice cat, and mm-hmm. um, you know also occasionally the knockover minis cat. Yes, yeah, so she doesn't take off with them like the other cat does. Yeah. Alina has been known to just grab a mini by the sword and run off with it. Oh God. Mm. I would I would be horrified if that were to happen to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would I would I'm not sure what I would do, but I think I might cry a little bit. But yeah. um yeah, I mean, yes, back to uh back to my first campaign. Um we started at first level, we progressed I think to about 6th and um it was very uh it was very entry, so um, you know, we we shopped through the adventuring vaults for equipment that we wanted. Oh yeah. Yeah, and every single town that we went to um, you know, there was a magic shop, so if we had enough money, we'd totally buy everything we needed. I'm um, so jealous. I never got to play in one of those games. Oh, man, it was... Makes um, sad. You know, it's it's probably better that you didn't, because, I mean, I, I, I think I, like, actively rebel against that. Like, you know, some kids rebel against, like, their parents. I'm, I'm like, actively being um, adverse to that specific part of my very first game, which is, uh, eh, you know... It's something you do, I guess. You know, you choose what's good, you choose what you didn't like, and you, you go from there. You learn. What was, uh, what was your first game? Well, that's kind of a convoluted question for me. Mm. Uh, yours was a nice, tidy campaign that ran for a while. Indeed. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that my first actual game was a single game of Vampire the Masquerade. Mm. Um, that a sort of friend of mine decided to run for me and a friend so we would get into it so we made characters we had some encounter all i remember is being in a bar and then going in the back alley and just killing the fuck out of people (laughs) and uh, that is all i remember of that game Mm. (laughs) so i think it has the uh infamous uh, wow, I just totally had a brain fart. That's been happening to me a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> the dubious pleasure of being my first game. Mm. Um, my first games that I played for any length of time were actually freeform games on IRC chat. Mm. And that started out with a uh, a lovely Sailor Moon Stars role-playing game oh really where you had to like send in an application to play one of the characters mm-hmm. i got the lovely uh, character of the villain villain sailor iron mouse sailor iron mouse yeah she's one of the actual villains from the star season so she's that's the season we were playing in so she's canon yeah mm-hmm. oh wow yeah and um <laughs> listeners you can't see my face right now but i am it's making great. one yes and uh, it's the face where dave never realized just how much of a nerd i was uh, just, you <laughs> until know. this moment and he's trying to hold in his gleeful delight about it you know part of it is just you know being <laughs> eternally surprised by anime and just being so utterly you know relieved at that no it was great because so these um they're called the metal senshi Mm. we're the bad guys for this season and um yeah they're like cover identities where they all worked for this uh tv news studio Mm. so when i was not it is one of my characters not being sailor iron mouse Mm. She was, let's see, I don't remember what her, it was Nazumi something, Mm. but she wore a pinstripe suit to work with a fedora before it was cool. Are you sure? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I don't think fedoras were that cool in like the early nineties. Probably true. Yeah. I think she also wore an ascot. Not positive about that. It's oh, been a while. <laughs> an ascot. Oh gods. Yeah, no, she's pretty badass looking. Mm. And she's also really tiny because you know, she's a mouse. Of well, course. Not really a mouse. Yeah. It's complicated. It you usually know. is. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, so I did that actually for quite a while, mm-hmm. and it branched off into other freeform games online. I played in a horrible one with one of my good friends at the time, who was such a power gamer, it was horrible. Mm. And the bad thing about freeform games is that there's not a good checks and balances system. So if someone has decided they're going to make their character super powerful, they're going to be. And that was, we referred to them as metagamers, I think. Yeah. (coughs) But anyway, so I played in that. And then I ran several, personally. Mm. My favorite of which was uh, about reincarnation. So everyone was... um, agents that had basically been plucked out of the reincarnation cycle mm-hmm. to help fight evil. Okay. And they worked for the grand reincarnation officer who was a talking cat, basically. Oh, really? Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. Mm. I had a few other games that I ran once that one, when, once we ended that one, but... Mm. But anyway, and then I got into actual real gaming, and my first real, like, campaign game I got to play in was GURPS. Oh, yes. Specifically a a Banestorm-inspired GURPS, which is one of the settings Mm. of GURPS. The fantasy one, basically the high fantasy one. Mm -hmm. And I played a, I played a dwarf fighter in that one. And it was great. Sweet. Yeah. And that was fun also because the our GM was one of those guys who have has been playing Dungeons and Dragons since it came out mm-hmm. originally. And his wife played and his son also played. And his son's like my age. Yeah. Maybe a little younger, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and um, so he had just kind of gotten fed up with Dungeons and Dragons and was trying to find a system that he liked to play. And so he was trying out GURPS for the first time. Ooh, that makes me forget mm. or reminds me that I did forget <laughs> that uh, <laughs> before I played this in-person game, I did a play-by-post GURPS game, which I have discussed previously. Which was really promising and then just died. Oh, yes. It was kind of a dark fairy tale GURPS game, which was awesome. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so while we were all kind of learning GURPS at the same time, it was really fun. Um, I still really like GURPS as a system. I think it's great. Yeah. Just... Um, you know, it does require a little more work on the GM's part, but I think that the rule books are really well laid out. Mm. Like, I think it's easy to find information in them. Yeah, definitely. I uh, <clears throat> I was just experiencing, or at least I continually experience trying to find certain rules in the Iron Kingdom's core book, like the <laughs> uh, the penalty for firing a gun at extreme range is mm-hmm. not where you think it would be. In yeah, fact, no, I, I in fact I still don't know where it is. I don't think I do either. Yeah. I think I just... Yeah, I just... I throw on, like, a flat minus four until I find it, and then it tells me differently, but... Yeah. You think it would be on, like, the GM screen? It's not. You think it would be, like, in the range attack modifiers? No. It's not on the GM screen? No. Because they have that whole list of ranged modifiers that's really handy. Yeah, everything except firing at extreme range. All right. Yeah. Whatever. yeah, it's a uh, it's a travesty of the uh, of the editing process. 
But yeah, <clears throat> indeed. Oh man, so, we don't even talk about Iron Kingdoms this time, Dave. I know, but we always do, <laughs> Dave. Dave, it's just. <laughs> It's, you know, you got to mention it every now and then just to try to convince Privateer Press to send us free stuff. That would be nice. It would yeah. be really nice of them. Because then I wouldn't be waiting for my Unleashed Adventure Kit to arrive. Oh, man. <sighs> I was I was day one on it. Uh, no, it wasn't Amazon. I bought that in Austin on a phone because Miniature Market had a, uh, had a sale on it. Nice. Yeah, it was good. It was totes good. So um, back to uh, back to legacy. Oh man, um, yeah, we're uh, so those are kind of like our first games. Mm-hmm. Um, now moving forward, how are those um, how are those affecting how we how we run games, how we play games? Um, I mean, immediately for me, I see that uh, whenever I'm uh, whenever I'm plotting a game or whenever I'm uh, just sort of automatically thinking of something to run. I always just sort of go back to that, you know, generic fantasy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like my springboard where I just start with that. And, you know, if I'm not sick of it, then I move on to something else. But, you know, if I even have like one tiny idea that might kind of work, I just, yeah, I just run with that. And, um, yeah, our, uh, our campaign even had some like, well, I can't even say minor steampunk, uh, influences because one of the characters, actually had an airship so <laughs> so major steampunk punk influences yeah he was an artificer with an airship so we kind of uh we kind of got transported into like a, a yeah like an xp eberron like after um after they released the playtest for uh for the artificer which you know nice. which wasn't really a, a problem but it was also kind of uh indicative of that game where you know, it was it was right when fourth edition was releasing. So as soon as something new came out, we were all like very excited and needed to try out these new things. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So um, ever since then, it's like I think even my first uh, 4E game that I ran out here was uh, fantasy steampunk. I think like the one on the train. The one on the train. Yeah. And and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one on the. Yeah. Just that was bit. that was the first one. Was that was the first one, wasn't it? Or... I don't. I don't know. That's the first one I played with you mm, I think... because I was just getting to know you guys at that point. That's right. I think I played a couple with uh, with Scott, Kale, and Randy before that, where they were uh, investigating a death cult that was reanimating bodies through chemical means rather than magical. So yeah, it was still nice. pretty. Uh, yeah, I was using like Leyden jars and arc nodes and all sorts of things before I knew what arc nodes really were. Which are ways mm-hmm. to channel mm-hmm. spells. In any case, <laughs> that's, that's probably why I like the Iron Kingdom setting so much because it is basically the first setting that I played, but a bit more fleshed out and a lot more fun. Right, right. Yeah. Good setting. Indeed. <laughs> oh, man. Um, gosh, what else? Um, obviously, fourth edition, I've complained, I've ranted so much that it is almost all about the combat. Like, oh, gosh, I was. Uh, I was thinking this week of finding some way to turn fourth edition into a little bit more of a, um, into more of a board game, but less of an RPG. So sort of like a, uh, like a hybrid between like descent and fourth edition. So like their board D and D board games, but a little bit more like fleshed out. Yeah. Like being able to have continuity between games. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, uh, sort of like the, uh, Imperial assault, uh, fantasy flight game. Where there's continuity. Yeah. yeah. I think all you need to do is really just like take the character creation rules from fourth edition hmm. and then use the like movement and range and stuff rules from the board game. Yeah. Seems Blammo. Like, yeah, seems like that would work pretty well. But then again, I just don't want to. Right. Like, I realize that I'll have to. You, you can know... join the millions of other people that have made a dungeon crawl board game. Yeah, I'll. <laughs> that and just the the thought of looking through fourth edition books again just is so daunting that I just want to go to Noble Knight and trade them all in for uh, for something else. It would it would give you reason to have all those books again, though. It would give me reason, which is probably the only reason why I still think about them occasionally, is because I haven't pawned them off somewhere. Oh my! Well, who would take them, Dave? Come on. <laughs> uh you know, I I am gonna see if. Uh... 
I, I'm going to see if there is an availability for uh, for me to trade in some of them, you know, just a little bit. You know, if they're not going to give me, like, GameStop dollars for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in any case, um, yeah, moving on because I'm about to continue ranting about 4th edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, a uh, one of my first instincts as a GM and as a player is to turn everything into a combat and then kill everything that's opposing me and then <laughs> and then loot it and then gain a level. Um so that's uh, that's kind of a hard habit to break after uh, after you know my very introduction was very combat centric. There was not a session that went by where we didn't fight a giant spider or a bunch of goblins or orcs or humans or anything. Yeah, so it was uh mm. Yeah, fourth edition is a very combat-centered game. Um, <laughs> and another thing that it sort of, oh god, it, it in the uh, in the core book, it uh, it suggests certain builds for you and like suggests mm-hmm. certain races. So that kind of uh, put me into the mind of min-maxing, which oh yeah, oh god, you were, you were a fourth edition min-maxing pro. Oh yeah, I was. Uh, oh god, I just did all sorts of things with that, and it, it you know I still feel kind of dirty when I think about it, like. <laughs> I think that's probably why I'm playing so many like bad Pendragon characters now. I'm I'm max minning in, uh, in Pendragon just to sort of try to uh, try to atone for the days where I just created these overpowered fourth edition characters and just sigh. Yeah, well, mm. I'm behind listening to your Pendragon game. That's sad. Oh well, you know it's but uh, yeah, that happens. Mm. It's stuff to do during the day now. Indeed, yeah, you've you've got a job where you have to be on a phone, so it's true. Yeah, you, you can't really uh, you can't really listen to uh, to podcasts like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. Well, I guess it's time for me to uh, discuss how my role playing experience has influenced my current games. And uh, even that one game of Vampire the Masquerade, looking back, I've realized really influenced my gaming. Like, it gave me a taste for blood. (laughs) As uh, cliche as that sounds, a pun quasi-intended. Aww. (laughs) Um, I remember, the reason I remember that we were in a bar and then we went into a back alley and killed a bunch of people is that like me as a person I totally thought my character was gonna die because it seemed like a bad idea to like go into an alley with people like we're gonna get killed we have no idea what we're doing and we just murderated them Mm. like they didn't stand a chance I think I might have murderated them I'm not sure if the other person I was playing with was helpful at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that that as you uh as you may know and our listeners may even know at this point uh has set a trend yeah yeah i like killing stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree i i also like killing stuff i think that's why we get along so well yeah <clears throat> um but then doing all of this freeform role-playing. It was really interesting because it was not combat-free by any means. It was pretty much lots of combat. Right. And when you role-play like that, there's a lot of social contract that needs to be abided by, Mm. more so than in any game with rules. Like, it's your job not to be a jackass about how you play and in combat, it's just like whoever, um, you know, you th- realistically think if your character could stand up to what the other character is doing to you. You know, when I was playing a Sailor Moon villain, obviously I'd like be defeated every time. Yeah. Which is fine. Mm. <laughs> um, but like in some of the other ones, uh, that we run it wasn't quite so cut and dry um but you really like were wanting to create something with all of the other players 
And I think that that's still a big part of my gaming. That it's not GM versus players or anybody trying to be more awesome than anybody else. It's creating a narrative with all the people at the table, no matter what role they're filling. Definitely. Um, And I really like that aspect of gaming. I don't like um, the more competitive aspect that gaming can take on. Mm. I mean, I like killing stuff. uh, And I like being really good at killing stuff. But I want... I want something interesting to be happening for the party as a whole. Yeah. For the world as a whole, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Totally. And I, since I did that for years, I think that's just become a really big part of it. It's just that once I started finding some rule sets that actually worked, and nowadays online gaming is is much much easier than it used to be even when we just did irc Mm. like now there's things like roll 20 and there's skype and things like that that you can use yeah totally or you know when i was doing it chat was kind of cutting edge Mm. and it was really awkward to do anything with with dice mechanics right like, we had some dice rolling bots and stuff that we tried out. Like, we tried doing a Mutants and Masterminds mm-hmm. game once, and that went okay. But it definitely had a better flow when it was diceless. Um, but it may also be a reason why I am opposed to storytelling games now. Mm. Why I, they make me so, like, viscerally angry is because at this point uh, we're trying to put people who've played a lot of rules-based systems and a lot of crunchy systems into this much more free-form setting. Yeah. And they just go ape shit. Mm. You know, because they don't have that that really strict structure. They all become metagamers and... Like, they don't have that social contract that I had with people I played with on IRC. Definitely. Uh, so, I've been thinking maybe that's going to be my rant for when I make a rant episode. Mm. Story gaming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as much as I like a story, I think a lot of the systems go about it poorly. Um, though I haven't tried Hillfolk yet. Hillfolk. Yeah, hmm. it's, um, they call it the drama system. It's by Robin Laws. Okay. It's supposed to be good. I don't know. I think the one thing a storytelling game is it needs some way to curb people's gamerism. Yeah, it's still sort of, <laughs> it seems like it would still need some sort of uh, system of checks and balances. Right. Yeah. Um. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, these people are just not not story gaming people. I don't think that's necessarily it either. I mean, I think uh, they just have to have to, you know, have some limitations. Yeah, I think uh, I think good ways to I, I mean, a good way to think about it is that like when you're when you're talking about it as a storytelling game, people you know, immediately if they're thinking about a game, they immediately want to win the game. Exactly. Which, which sort of violates that concept of the, of the, you know, of the, of the social contract, because in a story you have to have rising and falling action, as we discussed in our pacing and narrative structure games, uh, where, you know, there are situations where the heroes are supposed to suffer setbacks. Yeah. Um, and people have a lot of trouble with that in storytelling games. I've, experience yeah so like having some sort of uh having some sort of system where you know there is a uh, where there's a ability to balance what you achieve is a uh i'm if anyone could do it i'm sure robin laws can do it (laughs) right yeah but yeah that's exactly it like when you try to make your players go through hardships and i even had this problem when we ran on irc mm-hmm. and i was in high school at the time too so there's high school gaming going on as well like anytime you tried to really set the players up with a setback they mm-hmm. got mad yeah 
even with that social contract that yeah, we had, definitely. like they got mad mm-hmm. when there's some structure involved, they get less mad because they understand that's the way it's supposed to work. Right. They understand that there's a dice system that is there to, you know, some sort of mechanics that creates, you know, random situations that, you know, creates the probability of failure rather than their own imagination creating that failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it it's probably a difficult concept for those who were raised in, uh, you know, in games where they wanted to succeed, but it's just a uh, a dice roll or a card flip that makes them fail. Um, yeah. So that's always a uh, that's something to really try to figure out. I mean, I could see maybe creating a system where the only way you get experience is by failing. Right. Yeah. And that would make sense, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Learn from your mistakes. Yeah, totally. Um, But, you know, I think that's just the way people are. Like, you can say people that are raised in, you know, like, on D&D and stuff would Mm -hmm. be like that naturally. But I think anybody is. Like, they want to be awesome. Yeah. It's the reason they're playing a game of pretend. Yeah. But... Um, you know, the people who I think do story games really well are really the people that just want to be writing a book. Right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the ones that, you know, get really invested into everything and really want to have that engaging um, interaction. Right. Rather than the and they want to, yeah. in, in a big way, I think they want to take the chance out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to dictate what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> And at that point, I think you're losing the game aspect of it. Um, hmm. But, but, and you know what? I like the game aspect of gaming as much as I like the story aspect of gaming, mm-hmm. um, which is probably why it took me so long to realize I didn't like fourth edition. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you, you kept us entertained with good story and plot and things happening, and we kicked some ass in combat. Well, at least I did. <laughs> You kicked a lot of ass in combat. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, but that's what she did. Yeah. Uh, that's what my character did. Um, so so definitely that freeform gaming has informed a lot of my gaming now. Mm-hmm. I, I would never go back to it. <laughs> freeform gaming? Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my best stint was... Um, a, uh, like a post-apocalyptic game I did with one other person mm. and we just played all the characters. Oh yeah. And, um, it was, so it was post-apocalyptic, like kind of tank wars mm-hmm. style. Mm. So like his character had a tank and my character had a camel and she was like traveling merchant. <laughs> and then, yeah, she's great. And then, oh so we just, like, built up this whole, like, cast of characters around these two main characters, and mm. that was really fun. It was good. Nice. But we also, I think, were both a bit masochistic about it, and so it was like, how much bad stuff can we pile onto our characters? Oh, my, yes. And the answer is a lot. So much. <laughs> so. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. Indeed. That was fun. Um, and then GURPS came along and really introduced me to an actual, like, structured format. Mm. I was totally in love. Um, I love that system a lot. And when I actually started playing Dungeons and Dragons for the first time, Mm. um, after playing GURPS, it was kind of, uh, it was a bit of a culture shock, uh, because they are pretty different systems. Yeah. Uh, and I had, I had a little bit of frustration with how, uh, how narrow the rails were in Dungeons and Dragons and it only got worse with fourth edition Mm. for that. But like, I didn't notice it as much fourth edition, but, uh, but I really liked all that choice you had in GURPS. You could really make exactly what you wanted in your character and, how much it informed your character right from the get-go was really awesome with the oh excuse me with the advantages and disadvantages and things like that that was really fun nice so yeah i think that's 
my early gaming and how it's influenced me. Man. <laughs> yeah, just sort of, uh, just sort of, you know, now that I've got back to thinking about that first game, like, um, it, uh, I mean, you know, despite everything being very new, uh, the GM and I, we were, uh, we were both actually, uh, going to the same university, uh, compared to the rest of the players who were, uh, elsewhere i'm not even sure if they're going they were going to college at all but we were just uh, a couple of english majors just you know playing dungeons and dragons so um you know we were taking all these writing classes at the time so we had to like keep in practice of making sure we you know kept on writing like every day so we right. kept, we uh yeah we made this concept of you know at almost like every single uh at the start of almost every single game there would be like a handout sheet of like you know one page of narrative that you would read that would be you know either backstory or side story or just sort of setting up for uh for what was going on in in that game and that well, kind of fun. Uh, yeah yeah that that really kind of um sort of set the stage for how much i enjoy doing uh doing interludes now for uh for my games right where, yeah where i just you know i i tell my players hey if you guys want to write something turn it in you'll get xp yeah so that's um yeah that's definitely a uh something that I, I didn't even realize until I started thinking about it that has uh, transitioned from the originals uh, from you know the very first game that I ever played. Uh, the other thing is homebrewing, which um, <laughs> oh my God, which I tend to do quite a bit. I don't implement it that much, but I definitely am constantly homebrewing stuff in my own head. And, you know, that is uh, that has blossomed into a curse on my life that is always <laughs> wanting to, like, tweak a system or come up with, like, a brand new gaming system mm-hmm. that is just, you know, better for me and for everyone else. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, for the next three days, I'm just going to be thinking about this uh, this mechanic narrative gaming system and how to make that work. <laughs> well, if you can think of it, man... That would be brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That would be really good. Yeah, I'm, I really love that interlude idea. Mm. I've gotten some good stuff out of my players with it. Yeah. Uh, so far. Which remind, did, did Randy send you the thing that he wrote? He his did. interlude? Yeah. Okay, good. I really liked it. And definitely. I was like, I bet Dave would like this. It's a great plot hook for Iron Kingdoms. Oh, man, so much. <laughs> yeah i'll um i'll send you a link to the uh the obsidian portal page that i put up for uh um for my current game i haven't invited any players yet but um yeah russell and joseph and scott are doing interludes and joseph's uh, joseph's interludes are just so great they're that's awesome yeah they're amazing I, I just yeah i should be forwarding those to you yeah i would love to read them yeah and actually uh in this one past game i think i actually bit the bullet and uh and interlinked our two campaigns sort of a little bit um, nice we discussed in passing a Crixian invasion of a uh, signarin wedding <laughs> beautiful yeah so um, beautiful <laughs> so we are now in the same world <laughs> oh my very good very indeed good. man so uh, any last thoughts on um on your first game how it influenced you in your uh in your current gaming life? Hmm. I think I've covered everything. I, I, I guess too. one last thing mm. now that I think about it is that like, I still have this driving curiosity about white wolf games. Oh yeah. Which is why we're playing mage now for a little bit. Mm. And I just, I want to like them so much. I just feel like they're needlessly complex. Yeah. Like, as a base system, it's a great system. But then they just add in so much other stuff onto it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Because, holy wow, like, trying to get a basic, uh, like, working knowledge of how to run a mage game. Oh, like, God. I literally have to read that whole goddamn book. Like, multiple times. Yeah. yeah. Like, because I've forgotten most of what I already read. Because I've been cramming work information into my head. Because yeah. I have to be a fucking walking ex- encyclopedia for that. Mm. So, I like, 
I think that they have great, like, it's a great setting idea. I love, like, fantasy and horror and modern day stuff. And definitely, I love that idea of fantasy and horror uh, combined. And they have some great fluff. And I really like the base system mechanic with the D10 dice pool and, like, mm. the bubbles and adding things together and yeah, it's a, all of that. It's a really fun character generation in, in White yeah. Wolf. I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. yeah. And But then, like, actually doing something in it is a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I prefer just running mortals in it is because I can just make right. up all the other rules. Like, right. And what's probably going to happen with our mage games, and I'll tell this to all of our listeners because <laughs> they may end up listening to the actual plays at some point, is indeed. that... Uh, I'm really just going to like try to make a rule of thumb thing for doing magic and we're just going to roll with it. Like I'm going to have my little chart of you guys fucking up and that's going to be it. Sounds great. <laughs> I'm, uh, I do not object to that concept. Yeah. So we may be playing mage light. <laughs> Works for me. As long as we can get a little, uh, as long as we can get a little story in there, I'm, uh, I'm always good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which reminds me, I have to get Russell character creating. Mm. Yes. That's what I'm going to be doing after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, shall we move on to campaign pipe dreams then? Indeed. I've got a good one this week. Oh, man. Why don't you take the first one? I will, since you had to do the first one last time. Sounds good. <laughs> Keep it's talking. A crazy one mime thing. Anyway, uh, so I'm thinking that I want to do kind of a viral, uh, like a viral magic item thing. Okay. So there's, so kind of borrowing from the idea of Lord of the Rings a little bit, like Sauron made all these rings and stuff. And then he had, there were those, um, what are those stones called that they could, you could like see like communication stones. Yeah. Those, uh, Oh, God, I don't even remember what they were called. I don't remember what they're called either. I feel like a horrible nerd now. Well, you know, but, um, Stephen King stole them for the Dark Tower, and there he called them uh, Bends of the Rainbow, like various uh, crystal goblets that were in different colors. Right. So um, this idea of a bunch of different, like, magical artifacts that are linked. Mm. And uh, so my idea being that there's some like wizard entrepreneur that is making all of these and he's trying to get people to have as many of these items as possible mm. and they can use them to like communicate with other people or maybe spy on other people and, you know, things like that. But he has like a main control over all of it. Yeah. And in that respect, everybody mm. who has one mm. and, uh, Excuse me, I'm having like horrible indigestion. It's a horrible mm. time to record. Um, <laughs> oh. eat it after eating Thai food, I don't recommend it. Oh, um, <laughs> so, so I'm thinking you could do some kind of fun campaign uh, in that regard. You know, what would have happened if some meddling adventurers had gotten involved? In the mm. middle of Sauron trying to get out all these cool rings. Yeah. You know, things like that. Definitely. So, I think that could be a fun fantasy campaign. Mm. Um, very, you know, MacGuffin-driven, but, but fun. Yeah, absolutely. And the longer they take to accomplish it, the more powerful the dude gets. So. Oh, man, yeah. Their main villain would be leveling pretty much with them. Just about, yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe even a little faster paced. Who knows? Yeah. Just depends so, on how much, how fast they acquire our stuff. Yeah. That's what's been tossing around in my head hmm. over the past two weeks, um, while I haven't been doing anything on any of my other games. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Nice. So how about you, Dave? What do you got this week? Oh man, well apparently I have two now because what you just said kind of reminds me of something that I've that I wanted to do in World of Darkness, like both times I ran it, but just didn't oh, really awesome. get the opportunity to. Uh -huh. So uh sort of running rolling around in my head ever since I was actually at uh university in a uh in 
creative writing classes is um, I wanted to run a game where there is a uh, there's like this uh, location uh, and it's a penny arcade and like you get you know certain tokens and like the tokens are sort of what are what would be kind of like cursed mm-hmm. so um, I, I I spent like you know like four months you know on on my uh, transits to work like brainstorming on like what you put coins into and how like these coins could modify the situation that you'd find yourself in you know after you uh, after you utilize them on things so you know you put them into old timey like videos you know the uh the you know like it's uh at like disneyland where they have the the very old uh and black and white um you know projectors like, yeah like those 30 seconds single mm-hmm. view uh movie things Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you have like wishing wells and then you have, um, you know, the coin flattening booths and, uh, you know, like tolls and stuff. I love penny smashers. I, I collect smash pennies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was just sort of, um, I was just trying to figure out like sort of dark and twisted ways that someone would, uh, would look, would like use the coins to make those, uh, those machines work in a way that sort of seems beneficial at the time, but actually sort of like costs them something. So like, um, one of the ideas I had was like for those little, uh, for those little black and white, uh, movies for like just one person, you know, you put the coin in and like, you see, you know, someone's past and like, you find out, you know, something they've done in their lives and you get some dirt on them. But then you find like, what you don't realize is that after you watch that, like a week later, that person dies or like a few, la- a few days later, that person dies just cause you, uh, you know, you dredged up some part of their past that, you know, comes back and kills them or something. Fun. Yeah, so... Ooh, or you could watch their death. Mm. And then, like, a couple days later, it comes true, no yeah, matter what. Exactly. So, like, <laughs> you're not sure if you caused their death or if you're just witnessing it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of, like, one of the things that I was toying around with just because, you know, like you said, it's it's players acquiring power, but at the same time, it's, like, this really this really dark anti-power that, you know, doesn't really do them much good beyond make them feel like they're, they're achieving more control over the universe that they're, you know, that they're residing in. Mm-hmm. So that's... Um, that's something that I, I keep coming back to in my uh, in my world of darkness because it just seems like that would fit that so much better than Call of Cthulhu, right? Yeah. So I mean that's uh, that's like the mini one. Um, actually, uh, in about fifteen minutes, hopefully, I'm going to be running my second episode of Scrolls and Swords. Ooh, yay! Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm looking at a full table, and um, I actually made like little mini character sheets for them. I'll, uh, I'll post pictures online and uh, and have the show notes linked to these. But they're like these really cute, like two sided with like the stats, <gasps> the stats Look on at one that. side, and then like you got like the portrait on the other, so that like you're That's looking beautiful, Dave, at your stats, and like everyone else is looking at their portrait. I did this at work on my lunch hour today. Fabulous. <laughs> It was the best lunch hour I spent in a, a really long time, just because <laughs> I got to have fun with Photoshop for the first time in a really long time. Nice, yeah. nice. So, is this going to be a continuation of your other Scrolls and Swords game? It is. Um, Russell will be absent, so it will just be uh, Scott and Jade returning. Uh, Fabulous. But we've got um, Aiden joining in at the table, and then we have Jade's boyfriend Brendan joining at the table. Hopefully, excellent. And yeah, we're just gonna have a bunch of people here. Um, you know, so it's like date night scrolls and swords. Exactly. It's like a <laughs> it's like a triple date, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> yeah, we'll just be uh, we'll be continuing on from the last episode, which ended with Scott's character being abducted by uh, by gobloons. And That's right. Russell's character being engaged to Princess Cupperbutt. That's so right. Yes. I think I think Very I'm gonna good. have like a like a royal wedding that brings in all these <laughs> other players and like you know is also kind of a rescue for uh, for Scott's character as well. So, Fabulous. Yeah, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing how much fun I can have because it's what I really like about the Scrolls and Swords is that it's like totally off the cuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, you generate the uh, you generate the conflict of the day's plot by rolling 46 and that's what nice. takes you through like a little flow chart that um you know that makes you realize what's going to be going on i like it yeah so i'm um it's 
going to be pretty fun figuring out what to do with all this. And I am super excited. <laughs> That's nice. I finally uh, did manage to listen to your Scrolls and Swords first game. Mm-hmm. And it was very, it seemed like it was really fun. Yeah, it is. The system uh, seemed to work pretty well mm, it for is, how simple yeah. it was. It's my most popular on uh, on archive.org. It has, is it really? Uh, I think it's getting close to 200 downloads now. Wow. And I'm pretty sure that's all because um, when I recorded it, it was uh, pimped out by David Larkins for uh, Esoteric Order of Role Players because we didn't oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. pen yeah. dragon one weekend. And what's awesome is that this weekend we're, well, it's not that awesome because we're not pen dragging, pen dragoning this weekend, <laughs> but we're not, since we're not pen dragoning this weekend, Scrolls and Swords will be taking its place on our Sunday slot. So I'll be able to get more Scrolls and Swords downloads. Excellent. Yeah. Indeed. <clears throat> so that will be a, uh, that will be an exciting situation to find oneself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Indeed. Well, I think that might uh, I think that might wrap us up for episode thirty nine of Unabashed Gaming. Sounds good. Again, this was us talking occasionally about gaming legacy <laughs> and uh, a very wonderful uh, campaign pipe dreams at the end there. Uh, once again, my name yeah, is David Chen, and I'm Susan Stewart. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Just as a reminder to our listeners, we here at Unabashed Gaming love to hear from you. Head over to www.unabashedgaming.blogspot.com and leave us a comment. We also have a SpeakPipe link on our blog page. You can leave us a message directly through your computer's microphone or headset. Comments, questions, topic ideas, whatever you want to share with us, all is welcome. We hope to hear from you soon. Thanks. Thanks.